wrap things up for this edition of the show. Tune in tomorrow at 5.15 for the Daily Sports Report here in 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. So for Tony Bolton, Rob Salmon, and Ted Pickus, I'm Steve Schuster saying good night, everyone, and go blue. This has been a production of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. And now the Bateman are loaded for Samantha Finley. And Michigan with a chance to bust this open. With Roger Clemens. Hits ground ball. They sit down the left field line. Resident scores. Here comes Giampaolo. Giampaolo scores. Merchant goes in a third. It's a two-run double for Samantha Finley. And Michigan now has a 6-2 lead. And Michigan, one out away. Heading back to Oklahoma City. Danny Ritter looking for that final pitch here in 2005 at Alumni Field and what has so far been the greatest season in Michigan softball history. Now the 0-2 pitch, swinging a ground ball to the right side. Haas has it, throws the first, it's time, and the ball game is over. And for the eighth time in the last 11 years, the University of Michigan is going back to Oklahoma City to make their eighth appearance in the Women's College World Series. Hey everybody, if you like soul, soul music, and funk, funk music, then join me, your host, Robert Wells, as I spin OG jams every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. on The Hop. Tune in, and you can bet your bottom dollar you'll hear songs Stop playing the wall. Everybody do the hop. Every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Only on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And Turkey Day is fast upon us. Looks like we're going to actually have a little bit of Indian summer, as they say. Getting a little bit of a warm-up starting tomorrow. Quite interesting. Well, the frost was pretty thick on the old windshield this morning, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be cold at night, because uh, just a rule of thumb, if it's uh, clear at night, it's cold in the winter. And, of course, if it's cloudy at night, it tends to be a little warmer. But, of course, during the day, it makes it a little more gloomy and uh, that sunshine apparently is going to be poking through for the next couple of days. Well, poking through. Weren't able to poke through enough of those holes in the Ohio State game. What a game, and let's just hope somehow Michigan ends up in the national championship game anyway. I think that would be poetic justice. But uh, ironically, we'll have to root for hated Notre Dame and possibly even Florida State for that to happen. If they come up with a better way to rank college football teams other than pawing through the goats, uh, the, the entrails of a goat, that might well, be a little yeah, bit they more have accurate this arcane, than. Uh, computer system. The irony is Michigan is actually still second in the BCS, even though they're third in 
couple of the two major polls. So basically, if USC wins out, they're going to be playing Ohio State. And, uh, well, playing in the Rose Bowl is not that bad of a consolation prize. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Anyway, uh, kind of a strange week of weird uh, finger-pointing and all sorts of bizarre things. Obviously, today's big story is this uh, Washington Post story about Iraq. We can talk about that in a second. Let's just give Rupert Murdoch a brain damage award, (laughs) chairman of the News Corporation. Uh, Late today, by the way, he announced that this whole OJ thing has been canceled. But it strikes me that a lot of the uh, hoopla and furor... And the poor judgment in even contemplating such a bizarre uh, foray into mythical justice. I don't even know what this is all about. And so-called entertainment. I'm not sure what the entertainment value of such a presentation was supposed to have been. Yeah. Well, Fox News has obviously been plummeting in the uh, uh, polls, uh, you know, the viewership uh, these days. I'm sure the Simpsons are still doing pretty well, but probably other than football and some of those bizarre shows that they have on Fox, which I never watch Fox. I boycott them, other than football. And And The Simpsons. Simpsons. (laughs) Um, So maybe it was just a lot of publicity. Who knows? But uh, let's just give him a brain damage award for even... I didn't do it, but if I did it, this is how I did it. Yeah. I mean, good Lord. Maybe Bush can write a book like that about (laughs) the Iraq War. (laughs) We didn't win it, but if we did win it, (laughs) this is how we won it. Uh, yeah, the decider in Vietnam, of all places, is undecided. Yeah, and it was uh, charming to see the photos of uh, him with the bust of Ho Chi Minh in the background. And some of the bizarre, totally clueless comments that he made. Oh, yeah. About how, you know, the prosperity that exists in Vietnam today is proof that everything's going to be okay in Iraq. Right. And that the history's hate... History's on the long march, I yeah, think. Yeah, history's on the long march, and that... Democracy will win out over hate. Well, hate never really had anything to do with our presence in Vietnam. You know, once you were there, yeah. I suppose. Stupidity. <laughs> yeah, stupidity. Uh, and you of know, course, poor his, judgment, yeah. a number of things. But hate. And his bizarre claim that the, the lesson of Vietnam was uh, you don't quit. Um, no, that's more of a lesson that Bo Schembechler probably taught on the football field. Uh and that we saw in the football game, but war is not football. Right. War is more like baseball. It's not really an issue but, of quitting. And, of, and course of course, people the me- die. <laughs> yeah, the, the message about the quitting, the thing that's so strange about it is that's exactly why the Vietnamese won. Um, the real lesson of Vietnam, I like to say, is, is what uh, General Jop's right-hand man said. You know, you Americans need to read some history. This is our country. We've lived here for... 2,500 years, you've been here for 20. He said this uh, in 1965. Um, We'll outlast you. And that, of course, is part of why we lost in Vietnam, never mind all the the, uh, flawed uh, military thinking and cultural ignorance and all of the same things that are being repeated in Iraq. I actually sort of like the uh, photo of Bush in the blue Smurf outfit with the Putin in the background. <laughs> They're whispering in each other's ears. In each other's ears. I don't know whether they looked into each other's eyes, but <laughs> <laughs> which of course Bush, Bush once said he yeah. looked into Putin's eyes and knew he was a good guy. Yeah, 
Yeah, and of course... Uh, he was dreamy, in fact. The uh, interesting spy uh, attempted assassination in London uh, <laughs> may sp- uh, throw a little cold water on that. But uh, yeah, B- Bush's uh, presence in Vietnam has probably been <laughs> unwelcome, to say the least. Um, clueless is the correct word, and boy, he looked a little haggard. <laughs> That's yeah, Ted Haggard, by the way. <laughs> I don't by know. The way, have you seen a picture of Ted Haggard? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you've. Uh, I don't know if it's, Bush has hit it in the bottle again, but it, well, <laughs> there's been some speculation on that. But doesn't uh, strike me as uh, too unlikely. And of course, it's great. Uh, speaking of Vietnam, to see Henry Kissinger back in the news. Oh, indeed. Uh, <laughs> the long military victory in Iraq. I'm paraphrasing here is basically no longer possible, but we can't withdraw yet. Sounds kind of like the Vietnam strategy that uh, he and uh, Richard Nixon employed. Uh, to such winning effect. <coughs> yeah, he's such an expert on foreign policy. It's, it's, it's remarkable. How the, the wise men of America continued to be consulted, and no one ever kind of unearths the details of their failures. Which are numerous and... Uh, well documented. Yeah. But not advertised, not uh, not promoted, and certainly not recognized. So we'll give, uh, I don't know, he, that was on a BBC interview. Um, just, I don't know, I don't even know why Kissinger's being consulted, but obviously uh, one of the big revelations of the Bob Woodward book is that he's one of the wise men behind the scenes that President Bush frequently counsels. With what a comforting notion that is for us all, I'm sure. <laughs> Indeed. Well, as you mentioned, a lot of bizarre little things last week. Some interesting um, articles in the uh, Financial Times over the weekend about advertising and fast food and uh, a controversial ban on junk food advertising in the UK has. Uh, apparently struck the middle ground by uh, angering health groups, which say it doesn't go far enough, and, of course, angering uh, advertisers and businesses who just want people to uh, continue to eat uh, fast food, which is horrible for you. If you look at the list of complainants here, uh, this is Cadbury, Schweppes, Coca-Cola, General Mills, Hershey, Kellogg, McDonald's, Pepsi, etc., etc., <clears throat> many of our Dow Jones uh, top 30, by Indeed, the way. <laughs> and m- many of which have already gained access to the captive markets of schools. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I don't usually like to talk too much about the school system since I am employed in that sector. But uh, I and others uh, for a long time now have been uh, critical of the move to move, uh, put pop vending machines into the schools. Um Nobody knows yet what the long-term health consequences on today's young people will be for long-term heavy caffeine use. They're the most heavily caffeinated mm-hmm. generation in human history. Though I think that the the early evidence of uh, so-called uh, type 2 diabetes is overwhelming, that this has been a disaster. Right. And, of course, uh, heavy caffeination and the sugars and pops. And let's face it, everybody, I enjoy a pop myself every once in a while, but... Uh, 
when you see kids drinking these uh, 16.9-ounce bottles, which are really two-and-a-half servings, mm-hmm. um, and going through a couple of those a day, the long-term effects on you know renal systems, bone structure uh, for girls particularly, there's all sorts of long-term health consequences from this. And so it's startling to see, and maybe perhaps in a sort of an ironic uh, way, uh, kind of humorous, that uh, China, the emerging you know economic giant, is already starting to uh, cut its own throat by uh, rapidly increasing the numbers of drive-through fast food outlets. And, of course, the automobile... Uh, numbers in China are really explosive yeah. and astronomical. And this has you know, repercussions for not only Asia, but the world in general when this many new cars hit the road. Well, they're going to surpass Japan uh, within a year, and there are basically <laughs> projections that they'll even surpass America within 10 to 15 years in actual car uh consumption annually which means they'd be buying you know something like 16 to 18 million units a year not a good development for uh, the world's environment the and only good thing i think about china's uh, environmental problems if there is a good thing is they seem to be a little more proactive in terms of addressing some of the obvious glaring problems with their environment uh when you hear anecdotal evidence of you know people's uh Deciding whether it's a good pollution day, whether they can see the building across the street in Beijing, um, at least there's a recognition that there is a problem. Of course, what's going to be done about it is anybody's uh, guess, but frankly, they're way ahead of the United States in terms of recognizing this as a problem, because the United States is still really in the Stone Ages regarding global warming acknowledgement or... Some of the other uh, bad aspects of, uh, you know, mining policy, agricultural policy here in the United States that does affect our environment. Well, and of course, that has a lot to do with the present administration. I'm sure that there yeah. are many uh, American uh, experts, scientists, and even politicians willing to uh, kind of address these issues and begin to make the changes necessary to ensure, you know, the long-term well-being of our people and our resources but uh, the willful disregard with which the Bush administration has you know, treated scientific uh, research and evidence is a little startling. Yeah, it's, it's just buried in the, uh, in the hopper, so to speak. It's just n- never, you know, the, it's obvious in case after case that this, uh, these sorts of governmental reports or information is sequestered. It was good to hear today that... Uh, Worldwide environmental group is calling for a moratorium uh, on fishing off the uh, New England uh, coast to let yeah. the stocks uh, replenish because there have been a variety of very alarming reports. Some suggesting that within 40 years, yeah. some common uh, varieties of ocean fish, uh, you know, regularly consumed, uh, will no longer exist. Yeah, and there has to be a recognition, by the way, that in restaurants, you know. <laughs> That blue tuna or whatever particular species, uh, swordfish, I think is another one. You got to watch uh, watch consumption of particular products because it's uh, very troubling. Um, maybe uh, the uh, the summary of the options in Iraq: go home, go big, or go long. <laughs> is is exactly what uh, we need to think about uh, regarding the environment. Um, 
Except where do you go uh, when home is <laughs> already trash? In fact, uh, here's another article for, of interest from the uh, <clears throat> Financial Times of last week. UN talks focus on adapting to effects of climate change. Which, if you think about it, well, why don't we just try and address climate change and, and if anything, to freeze it and put, you know, possibly even reverse it. <clears throat> but I suppose it is practical to consider adapting to effects of climate change. But I found this a little startling. This is from uh, Fiona Harvey writing uh, in Nairobi. Floods that ripped through this north through northeastern Kenya this month have displaced 80,000 people from their homes while representatives from more than 180 countries were meeting in Nairobi to discuss climate change. That's kind of ironic. Floods like this will become more common as the earth warms, scientists have warned. As Kenya appealed to the international community for aid, the United Nations talks on the Kyoto Protocol focused on how rich countries could help the poorest to adapt to events such as these and other effects of global warming. Well, the cynic in me says, oh, how nice, now that the advanced nations that have been burning the high levels of fossil fuels and engaged in the industrial enterprises which have made these sorts of climate shifts uh, a reality, we're now going to help the poor countries to deal with the consequences. Well, this is a little too little too late, but I suppose it's better than nothing. Yeah, and the United States will probably offer prayer. Um, it's you know, there's in, it's interesting that uh, that article has a picture of Barbara Boxer uh, on the. Uh, yep, it looks like her. Yes, indeed. And it's important because she's taking over this environmental committee that James Inhofe, who's got to be maybe the dumbest. Uh, member of the Senate that remains in the Senate, because I think a couple of the real morons got voted out <laughs> a couple weeks ago. But he's the one that claims that uh, global warming is a hoax. I don't think so. I think there's overwhelming evidence that it is occurring. Look at the alarming uh, rainfall they've had in, in the Seattle, uh, Washington area over the last month. I mean, they've had to shut down Mount Rainier National Forest. There's been so much flooding. Some of the rainfall totals that, uh, from that area are just staggering. The unfortunate thing about global warming is I think it's been well documented that a lot of the people that will be most affected are, of course, the least able to afford it. People in Bangladesh, people that live in, uh, uh, shall we say, native uh, 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 areas of Canada and the United States. Yeah, any low-lying coastal areas in South America yeah. particularly tend to be where the most poverty-stricken uh, dwellings are uh, Centered. And some of these islands are in the Pacific are almost literally disappearing before our eyes. Um, it's happening. The question is, what is going to be done about right. it? Tony Blair, despite a lot of flaws in many areas, at least in this uh, department, uh, has been much more uh, cognizant of uh, the problem than, say, uh, the decider who... Uh, uh, in this corner, the decider. I don't know what he's up to these days, but uh, he's a very troubling, troubled man, I believe. Um, just another couple, a couple of quick small brain damage awards. Charlie Rangel, who's uh, going to be the new chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, has been has revived this idea of the draft again. Um, I think that he's. He's got good intentions here, uh, but politically it's going nowhere. And, of course, it's somehow going to associate the Democratic Party with this idea, even though it's an idea that I'm sure John McCain uh, 
is probably uh, in agreement with. But uh, his point being, and I just want to s- sort of give him a brain damage award while praising him for his, his some of his correct observations. He's reviving the idea of the draft again. Um, and this, by the way, is sort of outside of his area of expertise, even though he is a military uh, veteran, claiming that we would be less likely to go to war if uh, our nation's elite, elites were you know, subjected to the draft just like everybody else, which interestingly harkens back to the whole carry comment, carry right. controversy. Who gets to go to college yeah. and who doesn't. And uh, so uh, who knows, but obviously the draft is... Uh, going to be a non-starter politically but it is fascinating when you can sort of contrast this uh, draft controversy with the whole new Iraq testimony that we've seen in the last week McCain of course uh, is way out there on a limb he wants to go big and has for some time now suggested we need more numbers right more troops in Iraq the military is telling McCain, well, we'd like to do that, but we don't have the troops. Aha. The draft, perhaps? Uh, this is a very interesting debate. Um, so I give Wrangell credit for some of his um, some of his observations regarding this problem, but I think that politically um, it's a little off message at the moment. So we'll give him a brain damage award on that. Well, it's the wrong way to try and bring the matter forward. I mean, to to kind of pressure America into putting its own pressure on the political system to say, look, the war is flawed. It needs to be ended. Uh, threatening to send additional numbers of people over there, people who don't even want to go. Right. I mean, and this raises other problems for the military. Um, if there were a draft, I'm certain that we would likely see the kind of things that Vietnam became famous for, fraggings, AWOL activity, mm-hmm. uh, large numbers of uh, veterans coming back uh, with uh, drug addiction problems, all sorts of uh, un intended consequences are going to be the result of sending people who do not want to go. I mean, a lot of the people who are over there now who are volunteers didn't even want to go to Iraq. No. Imagine what it would be like if you were, you know, harvesting bodies from the high schools, which is essentially what a draft would do. Uh, People not going to college. Um, And it's interesting that Milton Friedman, who recently passed away, that was one of his side issues, uh, famous economist, uh, monetarist, who was one of the early opponents of the draft. And I, of course, personally was uh, very opposed to the draft because I realized uh, even in junior high that Vietnam was right around the corner for me. Yep. And I wasn't going, (laughs) not because I don't love my country, but because uh, even at the tender age of nine years old, I knew that Vietnam was a loser. Uh the question is, where was the rest of our establishment? Uh, because in 1968... Uh, Fully committed. That was sort of the first year where a majority of the public finally began to turn against the war. One other quick brain damage award. I want to give a brain damage award out to Richard Vigory and Grover Norquist. There's a oh new revisionism going down um, regarding the election that somehow... The Republicans lost because they weren't conservative enough. 
and that uh, Richard Vigory is now promoting this new myth that George Bush isn't really conservative. He's a neoconservative. And the facts are, he's one of the most conservative presidents we've ever had, maybe the most conservative. And that's not the problem, uh, Mr. Vigory, with uh, George Bush's uh, presidency. It's not a question of uh, him versus Ronald Reagan, because in many ways they're almost identical. Um, they're pretty much clueless. I think Reagan was uh, much more adept at spinning the message. Um, Bush is uh, a little tin-eared at times, but um, this new myth is just pretty outrageous. Um, I don't see that at all. I, I, I see the, the problems for the Republicans is quite different. This is It's interesting when you go back and you check these exit polls, for instance. I'll just briefly cover this. It's interesting that the younger the voter, the more likely they were to vote Democrat. The Republicans did best amongst voters 60 and older. Even though the uh, 18 to 29-year-old uh, vote only accounted for 12% of the voters. Still, that's pretty high compared to past elections yeah. of that uh, particular grouping. They went 61-39 for the Democrats. In fact, I heard that this age group, this is the best that the Democrats have done since 1986. Um Another interesting thing is income, family income. The higher the family income, the more likely to go Republican. How strange. Maybe it's those tax cuts. But, of course, the Republicans did best amongst people with incomes over $100,000. They won the vote there 52 to 48. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. But amongst people under 15000 they actually lost 70 to 30. Wow. So it's very interesting when you look at this data. It's perfect numerical, uh, direct proportional. The higher the income, the better the Republicans. Actually, the Republicans did best, technically, uh, amongst a, uh, a another group. That, the blind and soulless? Well, of course... It was it was white Protestants that uh, did it for them. So I guess if the Republicans want to win, they need to create more older white Protestants that make over a hundred thousand dollars. They can just do this somehow through I don't know genetic engineering. That's got to be the growth sector for the, them. The tax the tax code. Or missionary uh, missionaries in the high schools, or missionaries in the in the Catholic schools, whatever, all they need to do is create more 60-year-old white Protestants that make over $100,000, and they'll still lose. <laughs> well, well, all apologies to my friends in the uh, visually impaired community there for that previous crack. Um, and, of course, the other interesting thing, too, by the way, just real quickly, was the worst, the only area of the country where they won was in the South. And even there, they only won... 54 to 46. They got absolutely hammered in the East, which, of course, is where the Democrats had huge congressional gains, both in the Senate and the House. And, of course, the fascinating Midwest, uh, where the Democrats won by six points, and in the West, where they won by eight points. And this 6-8 ended up being the key number. A couple of weeks ago, I pointed out that James Carville had a pretty good uh, numerical breakdown, and he's back in the news blaming Howard Dean for and Rahm Emanuel for not winning enough seats. I 
don't get that. I think they did about as well as they could have expected to have done. Seems like a waste of breath on his part there. Giving uh, the gerrymandering, but um, it was the fact that the seven-point Democratic win total nationwide in votes cast was what did it for them and why they won in pretty much a landslide. By the way, Gallup, the poll company, had that number right on the nose on Monday night. Hmm. Well, if Vigory and Norquist are uh, afraid that uh, Bush is not a true conservative, I mean, that's evidence, of, among other things, that they, too, are trying to distance themselves from him and his flawed policies. But it also speaks to the, the point I made a week or so ago that we may be uh, seeing in the near future some sort of a split within the Republican Party mm-hmm. and in ways that, you know, the the political landscape seems to uh, not necessarily be totally realigned, but there are changes uh, whose beginnings we can now see. The um, Was it the Nixon era that pretty much uh, rearranged the strategy so that Republicans would scoop up most of the South? I mean, that was a new thing because before then, as uh, I think it was Johnson who said when he signed the Civil Rights Bill, that we've lost the South for a generation. And he proved to be correct. And he was correct in that. And, of course, the South is still voting uh, Republican now, but uh, there has been change here in the Midwest, in the East, and in the West. So, um, very interesting. Uh, Too early to talk about elections, but uh, we'll have to see whether or not these trends will continue. Uh, to grow over the next uh, couple of elections. Yeah, because there obviously, even before this election, there were, uh, as the saying that Mo Mo Udall once said, the Democratic Party is uh, sort of like a group of people that go to a firing squad that are arranged in a circle. (laughs) That may now apply to the Republicans. Right. Um, You saw some carping between Dobson and Richard Armory uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, there was a big front-page story about the conservatives' pointing fingers at each other. And, of course, this neoconservative-conservative dichotomy, which I don't really see much of a... uh, (laughs) The neoconservatives are sort of a term that's been... been, uh, It's a semantic distinction and little else. A little else. And, of course, all of the neoconservatives are conservatives. They all are part of this whole morass of what I call Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Bush 1, Bush 2. These people keep being recycled in the government... Grover Norquist, quite frankly, should be swinging from the gallows along with uh, with Abramoff. I mean, he's implicated in that scandal up the wazoo. It's it's surprising there hasn't been an investigation into his organization. Well, for some of his bizarre proclamations, uh, he should probably be uh, institutionalized and, and studied for potential insanity. His comment about... Uh uh, reducing the uh, government uh, spending to the point where he could uh, strangle it in a bathtub. Yeah, like a baby. Right. <laughs> Good image there. Good image there, Grover. <laughs> kind of a nut says that out loud. Right, and of course he was part of this strange group of uh, lobbyists uh, that were apparently college Republicans together, young college Republicans, of Abramoff and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Rove. Well, not Rove. I'm think I'm I'm drawing a blank on the Ralph Reed. Oh. The three of them apparently were like tight early in life, joined at the hip, uh, but not in utero. Um, and they are the ones that bilked, uh, for instance, the uh, Native American uh, right. tribes out of their money. And Norquist is involved in this scandal, not quite as badly as Reed and Abramoff, but. Uh, 
I, uh, I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be a little investigation into Grover Norquist. I doubt it. He's too important to the cause. Well, I wonder who Bush is going to save up his pardons for. Yeah. Because his dad notoriously pardoned uh, a number of people heavily implicated in the Iran-Contra scandal. And uh, that's a very convenient privilege, which... Why? Bush, of course, is elevated. <laughs> A lot of those people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> return. Yeah, the return to sender. Uh, which is why this whole myth about the neoconservative-conservative dichotomy, I think, is uh, is a myth. 